Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Today, my guest is Jacob Tao of Jubilee Farms in Pauline, South Carolina. After helping with his family's Christmas tree farm from an early age, Jacob launched his own regenerative farm as well as a local grocery store focused on real food and farm-to-table connections. Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Share a little bit about kind of your background in farming. Um, you know, you start with the Christmas trees and give us a little bit of history there and then kind of what led you to the regenerative side. Yeah. So I uh, sort of got into the Christmas tree thing just as a, as a happenstance of life. My grandfather, as a retirement project, started a Christmas tree farm and uh, loved working outside, loved spending time with family and engaging in those those projects. Uh, as time went on, I really became interested in agriculture. Just generally, we got involved um, in a 4-H program with chickens, and chickens are the gateway drug to other other yes. farm animals. So, uh, yeah, started with chickens. Um, eventually, built that up to a flock of roughly 500 chickens, where I was selling eggs door to door to a little over 200 households um, in our in the town that's near us. Yeah, and uh, that was great and wonderful. But then I I went to college and got a two-year degree and uh, that and 500 chickens was just a little bit much so kind of shut shut that down for the most part um and heard about this crazy guy named joel salatin who said that you could actually make a living farming and uh, everyone around me was telling me that i was nuts for wanting to mm-hmm. to spend my life in agriculture so um set in the application to be an intern and uh, miraculously got chosen uh spent a few you know, spent a better part of a year up there and came home and opened Jubilee Farms. Very cool. So when you, um, you said you went to college, what was that degree in? I was a degree in welding and fabrication. Oh, very cool. So you actually have a very practical degree that you could use in your farming. Yeah. Originally the idea was I would go uh, work on the pipeline or in a nuclear power plant for a few years and save up a big mm. wad of cash and come back and start farming um, because that's actually what Joel recommends. You know, he, yeah. re- he recommends have a year of expenses uh, plus your nest egg to to start this thing. Correct. Well, I uh, I then promptly got uh got an itch and ignored that advice. Okay. <laughs> and um just sort of bootstrapped my way through it and put you know ba- I paid my bills basically and then every every cent uh beyond that that I earned for about four years I just put into put into farming operation. Yeah. All right. So talk to me a little bit about your time at Polyface. What would you say your biggest takeaways from that experience was? The biggest takeaways, honestly, uh, from a from a big picture perspective, is what's really possible. Um, that you can you can really do this and have a successful, profitable uh, operation and make a living not only for yourself but for your family. Um, and I would another big thing that I would say is that scale is incredibly important. Um, you know, Polyface is raising yeah. groups of pigs that are you know like like a small group of pigs at Polyface is like you know, 40, 50 pigs. Correct. Yeah. Where, whereas you look at a lot of, uh, and not, not to bash on anybody, but you know, like the more homestead scale level of agriculture where people are raising maybe a few pigs, a couple for themselves, and then a couple for other people. It's just really hard to 
carve out a profit at that scale. Well, um, yes. And I think at that scale, you end up mostly paying for your feed or paying for the pigs for you and your labor is going into them end up being free. So yes, you're right. It's yeah. it's a different scale. And I would what I try to tell people is hopefully you're a different um, end goal. Your end goal on a homestead is really just to cover your expenses and not really, it's not a business at that point per se, um, unless you're going to value add it extensively, I think just because again, you're right. It's, it's the groups of uh, efficiency. I mean, if you look at polyface, there's there's groups of pigs. They don't even see for three, four days. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's completely fine. But then you think about on the homestead scale, typically they're out there twice a day taking care of them. So just your time alone is drastically, drastically different. Absolutely. And then buying in inputs, you know, in quantity, um, Yep, feed on the on like a fifty ton scale versus a you know fifty pound bag. Yeah, completely different mathematical equation. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, not even not even closely related at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I think too, like you when you're at that smallest scale, because you haven't taken that many to the butcher, you're going to make mistakes with how things are processed and all of that. So you know they'll make the mistakes in one year that it may take a homesteader fifteen years to make, and you know again they're at a system where it's just an hour of process. Oh yeah. I've certainly experienced that, um, coming up through this, this project. Uh, <laughs> yeah, people, people will request specific things. Um, and I have learned that by and large, you're better off to, uh, take, take a considerable amount of salt with the suggestion, uh, to do something special or custom, um, uh, simply because people will say that they want things and then not follow through with so actually purchasing them. So it's almost like if they want a very specific thing, they need to prepay for that. And then you will get it in the production system. Absolutely. I tell people, look, if you, if you have a very particular set of cuts or something that you want, the best, the best way for us to do this as a team is I will just sell you the whole animal. We will go to the butcher and sit down together and go over the cut sheet and figure out mm. exactly what you want. And we will we will get that done and it'll be, it'll be what you want. Yeah. And everyone but, um, will be happy, hopefully. And everyone will be happy. Yeah. But if you take a trailer load of 10, 15, 20 pigs and you have, you know, you have three or four of them cut that way because they, they say they're all hot and bothered to have this particular special weird cut, uh, taken, uh, they might come back and buy one. Mm. And now you're <laughs> stuck with all that inventory that no one else knows what to do with. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then let's talk. So you went to Polyface, came back. What was the first things you started with your farm? So um, got the, well, we still had some laying chickens. I had kind of handed that off to my sister while I was gone and she, she kept that going for a while, but um, she eventually lost interest in it and I took it back over uh, nowhere near, nowhere near the scale uh, that I was at with that. Um, mm. Just because it's, I learned really quickly that it's hard to be competitive and make a profit in that area. So we have chickens and we offer eggs basically just for our loyal customers. Um, and we make a little bit on them, but we're not getting rich. Yeah. With yeah. The eggs. Uh, then the, the first major operations that we started with were pastured poultry and pork. Um, sort of just jumped both feet into both of those things. And, uh, have, have done, have done well with both of those. Those have both been all right to us. Okay. And so then with those, um, what's your scale at with those now? So the pastured pigs, uh, the most I've done in a year since then has been about a hundred. Okay. Um, which is 
a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to, you, you, if you're doing that many, you really are starting to look into wholesale opportunities uh, just because that is just a ton of, of product to move around. And then with the, with the pasture poultry, uh, up until this point, we've operated under a thousand bird state processing exemption. Uh-huh. Uh, but going into 2024, um, we're looking at bumping up to the federal exemption. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And then with the um, poultry, do you do pieces and parts as well or just uh, whole birds? Yeah, we do pieces and parts and whole birds. Um, I try to do as many pieces and parts as possible just because you're getting paid more for mm-hmm. very little input cost. Your your time is the biggest input Um but especially if you've got a couple of people to help you, you can really move through a lot of birds quickly and uh, easily double your profit margin that way. Yeah, gotcha. And then do you do any like sausages or chicken sausages? We don't. The state exemption in South Carolina doesn't allow for that. We're allowed to cut okay. um, All right. poultry, but we're not allowed to we're not allowed to mix anything in with it. Gotcha. So gotcha. Okay. So you're working under that. Talk to us a little bit about like your, your farmland, how many acres you're working with and uh, kind of the layout. Yeah. So um, I actually just bought the remaining part of the family farm. So I personally own uh, a little over a hundred acres. Okay. And then the collective of what I own and then what my, uh, the rest of my immediate family owns uh, comes to right at 200. Gotcha. All right. And so is it all contiguous? It's all contiguous, fortunately. Okay, gotcha. And then uh, what soil types are you working with? We've got a sandy clay loam that makes up probably 80% of the farm. And then we've got rock Okay, that makes up the other 20%. Yeah. <laughs> so then with that sandy clay loam, is that something that's relatively easy to work on? Or does it end up getting really messy in the winter? It's it's pretty messy in the winter. Um, it gets soft if it's wet, okay. but if it's dry, it's pretty much just a rock. It's like the worst of having sand and clay. Um, we used to have, you know, a couple hundred years ago, uh, the the area that we live in used to be rich in topsoil. Yeah. But um, you know, as the history of agriculture goes, we uh, are not fortunate enough to have that anymore. So we're we're slowly we've we've made we've made improvements. We've made visible progress all, uh-huh. over the last few years that I've been um, doing this, but we still have a lot of work to do for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So let's talk through the uh, grocery store. Then you've also got this grocery store that you supply and run um, called farm fair. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, right out a year ago, um, there was an antique store in our tiny little community that uh, went out of business just due to, to personal reasons. And we had always wanted to have a store on the farm. But where our farm is located is not really a high traffic area. We're kind of on a little side road. And the concern was, well, we would invest all this money in building a building and stocking it and staffing it. And then no one would show up. Mm. So we uh, became aware of this building that was available. And it's not a very big building. Our our storefront's right at 1,000 square feet. Okay. But um, we became aware that it was available. We reached out, happened to already sort of know the owner's reached out, got to know them better. And, um, we were able to lease it. It's it's worked out great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then what was, what's kind of like the, the flow through there? What's your, how many hours are you open? Kind of, how does that all work? Yeah. So there is a elementary school just down the street from us. And so we are open in the afternoons between two and six, uh, Tuesday through Saturday. The idea being that we're catching those, those 
parents coming home from work and picking their kids up from school just down the street. Okay. And then, uh, like, how many different vendors do you have in there now? Oh, goodness. Um, I think last I checked, we were getting close to 100. Wow. Um, okay. It's, yeah, we've got, and, and a lot of it is um, seasonal produce vendors. So we don't, uh, we have a little family garden just for ourselves, but we're not a produce farm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's not what we specialize in. So we, we like to play in the dirt, but that's not what, that's not our, our gig. Yeah. So uh, a lot of those are produce vendors and they may, they may produce, you know, three, four crops that they produce in a significant quantity. Um, and they may only have them for, you know, a couple two, three, four months out of the year. So that that's part of the reason why we have so many vendors, but, um, yeah, we've got a lot and we've got a lot of value added products from um, other companies. Uh, we've got a lot of canned goods. There's a local company down the road from us that grows and grinds their own stone ground grits. Mm. Um, so we've got lots of lots of things that are from within the community or from neighboring communities. It's really cool. Very cool. Um, so t- what has been like your process to build customer traffic through there? Yeah, so the the first one was location. Um, that's why we chose this building is because it's at a it's at a fork in the roads uh, with pretty much the two biggest roads in our little town here. Um, so we knew that just by default, we would have a lot of, of people driving by. Um, in addition to that, uh, a lot of word of mouth. We really try to encourage our customers, you know, tell your family, tell your friends, come back and see us. Um, a little bit of social media stuff. We've we've done a little bit of paid social media advertising, not a lot. We're looking at expanding into more online advertising um, and actually yard signs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not incredibly expensive to order a hundred custom yard signs. And we just put those things out like confetti. <laughs> and uh, that uh, that has also helped. Wait a minute. A okay. So you just get these pre-printed large yard signs and then you just put them everywhere around around the area. Yeah, everywhere. But anywhere where there's an intersection where someone would stop or slow down enough to actually be able to read what's on the sign. Yeah. We just like drove around and like yeah, the whole the whole little area was just covered in yarn signs for like a, a month and a half. Okay. All right. <laughs> and that really helped help push the word out. And then what was on the yard sign and what exactly did you put on the yard sign? So we just had our logo, our website, and our address. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that um yeah, with that with that information, we figured that was enough to direct people to us if they had even a little bit of curiosity. Yeah, well, you've got your logos, Farm Fair Grocery, so it says exactly what you are. Um, yep. Interesting. Yeah, our logo says Farm on Central, so that's a little bit less of what we are. So we might want to put a little bit about what we've got. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I want to try that. Um, and then, do you do any like emails to people throughout the the week or? We do, uh, we, we do emails like when we have a new product or something special, or if we're having an event, we'll send okay. out emails, but we try, um, our approach to email marketing so far, cause we have a pretty small email list. It's something that we've been working on the last few months. Yeah. Um, is we don't want to overwhelm people with emails. Um, because a lot of these people are getting emails from the store as well as from the farm. So you can uh, follow one or yeah. the other. You don't have to follow both. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. We're kind of like our farm is our, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I see how you split that up. Interesting. 
Um, so then what would you say your top selling items in the store are? Uh, I would say top selling items, the stone ground grits are right up there in the running for it. Um, meat products, ground beef is a big one. Okay. Um, ground beef and steaks, as far as meats go, probably take number one and then chicken probably takes a very close second. Yeah, some combination of those three would make our would make our top sellers. Yeah. Now, would you say Stone Ground Grits are really popular because of the location you are? That's kind of a local thing. Yeah, it's really really popular because of the location. You know, you can tell people like, yeah, these are grown literally like eight minutes that way. Yeah. You know, and like they plant the seed, grow the plant, harvest it, grind it, package it. Here it is. It's a husband, wife, and son family, and yeah, that's how they that's how they do it. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Um, yeah, our top are now sourdough bread and our salad mix is a top um, just on the week to week. And obviously seasonally, we would have like be more popular would be like in the spring strawberries. But um, mm. yeah, sourdough bread is to the point that we're getting ready to put a bakery in. So um, yeah, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, the amount of the amount of bread that goes through here. Because uh, I pay the invoices. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, we can't stop spending so much money on bread. So, um, I mean, we we make our margin on it, but it also, they charge us $8 a loaf. And so then we mark up to 11 and we're still selling. I think, well, I can go look at here because I'm sitting in here looking at the invoice that just came in. Um, 50... Six to seventy loaves, seventy to eighty loaves this week. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, that is. It, this week we sold eighty. We were billed for eighty-eight loaves. Wow. So, um, yeah. Well, it's interesting though because that has actually pushed. Now the, the bread isn't our own because we're bringing it in, and I don't think it's quite as good as my wife's. But people bought, come in, buy the bread, pay $11, then go look at our sourdough starter for $15. And they say, okay, sure. Yeah, I will buy a sourdough starter because I <laughs> want to make it myself. So it's interesting how that just trickles down and gives other products a kind of bit of a runway to sell. Do you have a, do you have a source for selling the customer's flour then after they come and buy the starter? So we do, we are not quite set up on that yet, but we actually have a guy about a town over that is growing hard red wheat. Um, so yeah, we can absolutely start selling him, selling his grain. And we've actually tried it. It's, it's very tasty. It's just a matter of us going ahead and getting it packaged up. That's awesome. How do you sell the grits? Is it in like a paper sack sort of thing, plastic lined uh, or? So they're, they're in a plastic bag that's, um, uh, heat sealed across the top, but okay. then it has a like Ziploc gotcha. opening, so you yeah. can continue to use the packaging. Gotcha. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. Very cool. Yeah. Um. So let's talk a little bit about the team on the farm. Is it just you? Do you have uh, team members? What do they do? So on the day to day, it's mostly me, but uh, I certainly could not do what I'm doing by myself. Um. So I am I am fortunate to have uh, a brother and a sister who are willing to help me when I need it. Okay. And, uh, and my mother also helps on the farm. Okay. And then in the store, is that just you or do you have staff there? So yeah, the store, uh, it's, it's the four of us. Um, and then we're, we're actually just talking about, um, hiring our first official real deal employee. So gotcha. Okay. 
So then it'll just be, they'll be the first person. Um, and then for when you're with the farm and you and your siblings, do you have specific things you do more of and less of, or is it kind of like all hands on deck? Uh, yeah. So I like the day-to-day -day stuff is mostly me. Uh, my sister, her, her task in life is uh, to collect and wash and package eggs. And I appreciate her for that. Um, okay. But as far as like caring for the, the poultry and the, the pigs and sheep and, and those animals that's just that's just me usually on the day-to-day -day. if i have to leave town for an event or something like that if i've got to go for work or uh on the rare occasion that i take a vacation then um they'll they'll fill in for me but the day-to-day -day it's mostly me gotcha gotcha okay Corinna, with today's consumer, you really have to give them exact action steps and tell them what to do. What is that called? That is called the CTA or the call to action in marketing lingo. And you're right. We can't assume that our customers can read our minds and know what we want them to do. We have to really spell it out when we're talking to them. So always have a call to action before you put together any kind of marketing piece. So if you're going to get onto social media and make a post or do an Instagram reel or write an email, you should always begin with the end in mind and ask yourself, what do I want them to do after they've consumed this content? Or where is everything driving, right? Why am I making this post? And have that in your mind before you start doing a live video, right? That way you don't just share something and then sign off and don't tell them to take action because they're not going to connect the dots and, and realize, oh, she wants me to go buy those tomatoes. We have to actually tell them to go do that at the end of the video. So be really clear about what those call to actions are. And you can have lots of them. I feel like in my business, I sort of have two or three that are the primary ones that I'm the default ones that I'm always going back to. But if I have a special offer, then I'm really clear about what that specific call to action is as well. What are some examples of CTAs that you use? Well, I think it's also important of where you put them too, but we'll do everything from in the shop because we have an on-farm shop mm -hmm. now, like, you know, check out here. That's a call mm -hmm. to action. But on our website, you know, sign up for this, the strawberry wait list here. And there's a where they put their email and click the button. In an email, you know, sign up for your CSA share here. It's that, you know, that button or that link and really calling that out. You have to make it very, very, very clear because yeah. we, I mean, it's, it's amazing. We shake our heads and we look at each other and there are three doors on our barn. Two of them go into the shop. One is a great big sliding door that is goes into the back. And until, and even after we put the sign up that says enter farm shop here, people mm -hmm. will still walk to the big sliding door as if, you know, that is where they would enter the farm shop. So you have to make it super clear what you're trying to do. But yeah, those are the call to actions we have. And, um, you know, you pick flowers here and we literally have a sign out in the field pointing toward the flower field, even though they literally just drove by the flower field on their way into the farm parking lot. <laughs> I love that. I think in general for your, the overarching business goals for your business, you should have one or two calls to action. Like for me, it's get on my store email list. It's, mm -hmm. it's my gateway offer. So that is a call to action that I keep front and center. And I'm asking myself, when can I say that this week? How many times can I say that? Because I have a lot of calls to action. I have a lot of things I could ask them to do, but what are the one or two things that are most important and to keep it simple and be repetitive 
say it over and mm-hmm. over again so that it cuts through all of the chaos. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go get on her email list. And then I can kind of guide them through the rest of the journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you want more farm marketing tips like this, check out my top rated weekly show, the My Digital Farmer podcast. I teach marketing concepts and interview lots of farmers to find out what's working and not working in farm marketing to help you find more customers, increase your sales, and build a strong brand for your farm. Look for the My Digital Farmer podcast on your favorite podcast app. Talk a little bit about like what has been like the, in the years of running the farm, what do you feel like if you went back and started over again, you would do differently? Uh, well, I would definitely uh, heed that advice I ignored from Joel Salatin about save up a big old chunk of money before you mm. start this thing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't regret the way that I've done it because I've grown at the pace that I was able to, but it would be a lot less stressful um, if you knew that your personal expenses were covered for a year and you had probably more than what you think you need to, to run your farm for the first year. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely. I would, if I had a time machine, I would go back and tell myself to do that. Um, and, oh man, that's a tough one. I would say figure out what your centerpiece enterprise is going to be, whether that's produce or a particular livestock, whatever it is that it, it's going to be your thing that you're going to build your, your name around and get really good at that before you add anything secondary to that um because it's easy it's easy to get too excited and want to add things before you're ready to be able to handle them uh it's when you're starting out especially yeah um i know like for us having a walk-in freezer it took us a couple of years to get it but now that we have it it's actually already full um <laughs> so within like two weeks oh that thing's full oh whoops um so yeah i mean being able to have that revenue that the capital be able to buy those things is so nice yeah and it's tough it's tough when you're starting out because you know you want to get going and uh there's a balance between the your ability to do things and your ability to, to pay for things yeah yeah um, let's talk a little bit about the, the systems on your farm, like the, the growing systems. Are you pretty similar to Polyface on a lot of those systems or have you kind of made your own changes? We're pretty similar to Polyface. Um, we use a little bit different infrastructure because it suits our needs better. Okay. Um, so like with the pigs, we've, I've done the like double hot strand fencing. Um, and that's great. It, that works well, but the electric netting from uh, premier one is it, it has advantages um, in certain applications. If if I were in a situation where I really didn't want a pig to get out of the fence, I would definitely lean towards using a netting product um, over just the stranded fence. So that's an example with the pigs. Uh, with the poultry, um, our, our terrain is a lot rougher than polyfaces. We have a lot more gullies and a lot more hills. And so uh, we actually have a smaller footprint chicken tractor that we use uh, just because it's easier to maneuver. So I'd rather, I'd rather pull four instead of three. If you know, I'm not chasing chickens that are squirreling out from underneath of them and, and all that fun stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, with the, um, the pigs, what kind of size groups do you typically run them in? I've had as many as 60 in one group that was kind of a lot for one person. Yeah. Um, so I, 
I like to be in the like 20 to 30 range. That's pretty manageable for, a, you know, to have that many that are one size and I can fit about, depending upon how big they are, when we take them to processing, I can fit anywhere from 10 to 15 on the trailer. So that means I can take that whole group in two trips uh, to the processor. So that's not too bad. That That's pretty manageable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then with that, with that processing, um, are you looking for a general range of cuts or has there been something that you've been surprised that people have been so interested in? Uh, well, the most, the easiest product to sell from a pig is sausage. Okay. Um, yep. It's people, especially, you know, in the South, uh, everybody's got to have their sausage gravy biscuits um, and breakfast sausage just flies off the shelf. That's, that's the number one selling pork product. Surprisingly enough, people also jump on $18 a pound pork tenderloin. Like it's going out of style. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you have the cheapest cut of the pig, the breakfast sausage, and you have the most expensive cut. And those two are the, the first to go. Interesting. Okay. Uh, chops actually for us, we sit on chops a long time before we sell them. Typically, um, they just do not sell that quick. I don't know why we've done boneless. We've done bone in, we've had them cut bigger. We've had them cut smaller, but chops, people just don't seem to be that interested in them. Um, and I don't know why, cause they're delicious, but <laughs> yeah. Now, do you spread recipes out with folks for when they're interested in buying things or in the store? Do you keep recipe cards out? We do, especially for new products or products mm -hmm. that we're really trying to move. Uh, then we'll we'll make up some recipe cards and put them put them with the product. Okay. Gotcha. We don't do it for every product because yeah. that would just be that would be a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, that's like us. We keep up three or four on on rotation, pretty much. So. Um, talk to me about like when you're bringing products into the store, do you typically do it on consignment or do you bring anything in wholesale and then just mark it up? How does that typically work? We do a little bit of both, um, with products like the grits and things that we are, we're comfortable with and that we know that we're going to sell. We typically just buy them by the case, um, so that the farmers they're getting paid immediately. Mm -hmm. They don't have to worry about it. They, they tend to like that more. Um, we do have some products that we sell on consignment. Uh, we have firewood that we sell on consignment, just bundles of firewood. Okay. Um, we have a we have some food products that we sell on consignment, but not a lot because most farmers would just prefer to get the check and move on. But like if it's something where we're really not sure that it's going to work out for us, or we're not sure what kind of volume we could take, um, then we we negotiate a consignment deal, and we we're also able to. Um, in some cases pay a little bit more on a consignment deal simply because we're not having to come out of pocket for more inventory. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. So you're, you're, you're going to give them more money on that because you just don't have to spend the hundred dollars on inventory. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's good. Um, what would you say the people are coming to the store for? Um, are they coming for your meats? Are they coming for the other products? I mean, have you felt like there's a specific, um, what you're known for in there. Yeah, uh, definitely meats is one of them. Probably the thing that people come here specifically for the most out of all the products we carry is raw milk. Um, okay. We work with a great local dairy. Uh, they're just far enough away that it's too much trouble for people to go there themselves, which is, which is nice. Um, but they, they have a raw A2A2 Jersey milk year round and they do uh, goat's milk seasonally and 
we are moving. Oh gosh. Um, I believe now we're pushing 50 bottles a week. We're getting close to, to that point. Um, with the raw milk and they're, they're half gallon bottles. Uh, and we sell them for uh, $8, $8 a half gallon for the milk. And then there's a $5 deposit on the bottle. They're glass bottles. We'll, we'll take them back. They take them back to the dairy. They wash them, uh, put a new cap on them and reuse them. Okay. So that's, that's another way that people, it keeps people coming back because if nothing else, they want to get their five bucks back. So. <laughs> correct. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we have a, or a raw milk herd share that delivers, but they just do plastic bottles. So there's no reason to, um, and you have to buy ahead. You can't actually like buy it in the store. So we don't even have anything to do with that at all. I gotcha. So, um, yeah. Um, what would you say your advice to new farmers would be if you could, you know, talk to someone who's literally maybe coming out of polyface after a, an internship there? If you don't have a family land or a place that you're tied to, if you don't have a place that you're dedicated to living, I would pick, I would look for an area outside of a major metropolitan area where you can find land, even if you have to lease it, or even if it's incredibly marginal, not great land um, to settle down in. Now, in my situation, I had family land. Uh, I had pretty deep roots here, so I wasn't I wasn't going anywhere. You know, um, in in my case, it would it wouldn't have made as much sense to do this. But if you don't have a connection to a particular place that you're committed to living, look for land in a place like outside of a major city, outside of like Charlotte, North Carolina, or outside of Atlanta. Um, and land is going to be more expensive there. But if you can get land within an hour or two of one of those cities and you can you can commute in for markets and for deliveries, um, the amount, the, in my opinion, the amount that you will be able to charge for your products will offset the higher cost of, of living mm -hmm. in that area. And you'll find that it's just much easier to sell your products in the first place. Um, if If you pick a... You know, if if you're from a uh, retired mill town where there's not a ton of industry, if there's a lot of those around this area and you're committed to staying there, you just need to be ready and understand that uh, selling your products for what you need for for them is going to be difficult. Um, so location, 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 if you can, is definitely probably number one. Um, have your finances in order. If you have any personal debt, um, if at all possible, I, I would want to be free of that before I made the full-time jump into farming. And if you're doing this 100% by yourself, it is incredibly difficult to work 40 hours a week and farm. I did it for about four years, and you, it's possible. I did it. You can do it. Yeah. But you are going to be so burnt out. Um, yeah. it, it probably took me a good four to six months to really feel like a living human being again after I, I departed from the, the 40 hour a week job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did you juggle that? Were you doing chores before you went to work, went to work, came back, did, did chores again? Yeah. I, it was farming by headlamp, you know? Um, okay. I would, I would be up depending upon the day, anywhere from, um, four to five 30 and, 
be out doing the things and then get off work, come home, eat something, go back out and work basically until I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> go go yeah. to bed and just do that again for, for, uh, well, really for six days a week, because then your Saturdays are occupied at farmer's markets. Um, when you're, especially yeah. when you're first trying to get established. So yeah, it, uh, it makes, it makes for a long week. <laughs> so with that too, we work on like a, just a welding job. Yeah. So I actually, um, inspected and repaired tanker trailers. So, uh, fuel hauling trailers, chemical trailers, dry bulk trailers. Um, it was a, it was an interesting niche that I found I fell into. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Interesting. So what's, uh, what's from here on out for you? So the plan is uh, keep growing and expanding. Um, most of the 200 acres that I own and have access to is wooded. And so in the coming year, uh, now that I've actually purchased most of that property, the plan is to have a lot of that land cleared. Um, most of the timber on it is marginal anyways. So we're going to clear cut at least 50 acres of that and begin to establish some pasture and really expand in the ruminant department. I really want to expand our uh, sheep and beef Um because those are those are both quite profitable products that I also enjoy growing, um, and in my in my opinion, as far as livestock goes, they're the most uh, regenerative mm. out of out of the animals. So we're definitely going to expand in those areas, um, bump up to the twenty thousand bird poultry uh, exemption and run with that, and hopefully uh, within a few years be at the point at which we can start to bring on uh, full time help. Mm. and continue to grow look into leasing more land and and continue to expand those operations yeah yeah well thank you so much jacob for coming on and sharing your experience today it's uh, interesting hearing kind of how you got things set up and uh congrats on you know the farm you're building thank you thank you for having me so there you have it another episode in the books So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.